Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg. Today, we'll be discussing the concept of blockchain and some of the different ways it can be used. Most know blockchain is part of the technology that underpins cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum. However, since blockchain is a distributed ledger, it can be applied to a variety of issues, not just currencies. Obviously, these topics can get very technical. Our intent today, though, is to provide some background and context on the technology and focus primarily on the social impact of blockchain application. Today, I am joined by two people with extensive experience in innovation and in finance. Each has over 20 years experience and they share a common interest in analyzing large systems with system thinking. Lina Konstantinovich, founder and executive director of Innovation 4.4, has been engaged in innovation in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. Using an applied economist perspective as an entrepreneur, investor, pioneer in biomimetic innovation, sustainability thought leader, futurist, educator, and philanthropic advisor, Lena has launched several organizations that contribute to shifting our macroeconomic system towards more optimal outcomes. Nick Gogarty's experience is in quantitative portfolio management, blockchain, trading technology, and innovation. He is a serial entrepreneur and has used blockchain technology in renewable energy and healthcare applications. Nick wrote The Nature of Value, How to Invest in the Adaptive Technology. He is co-founder and advisor to the SolarCoin Foundation and a blockchain advisor to governments, ministers, intergovernmental organizations such as the G20 and the UN, as well as corporations, global banks, and hedge funds. If Nick's name sounds familiar, it might be because he's been on the show previously in the first episode on money. So hi, Lena. Welcome to the show. Hi, Thomas. My pleasure to be here. I am so happy you could come on the show. Likewise. So as I mentioned in the lead-in, Lena, your work focuses on facilitating a macroeconomic shift to foster conditions conducive to life. So I have a two-part question for you. First, Mm -hmm. your work at Innovation 4.4 focuses on the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement. Could you explain why you're focusing on the UN SDGs? And secondly, could you share a bit about the opportunity you see here with blockchain innovation? Sure, I'd be delighted to. In 2015, the global community came together in Paris, and 195 parties were signatories to the Paris Agreement. The same year, the United Nations um, released the Sustainable Development Goals that 193 countries uh, adopted. And so we have these two frames as a global agreement, agreement of the global community for the kind of world that we want to build and live in. So therefore, I think it's a useful frame for how to work towards these goals since it has buy-in from the global community. And in terms of um, blockchain innovation, the reason why I'm very interested in blockchain and some of our work has shifted towards this space is because I see blockchain as having the ability to scale impact towards creating better futures. So could you, uh, how do you see that, 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 
possibility with blockchain? How can how can it scale a better mm-hmm. future? What 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 are the attributes that allow that to happen? Sure. Well, I'd love to share some examples of how blockchain is being applied, and that might um, give an indication of the um, broad spectrum of solutions that it can facilitate. So, for example, there are several now renewable energy trading platforms where one can trade energy from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world, shifting the dynamics with legacy monopoly providers, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in uh, deregulated markets and so on. Um, also, tracking THG emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, it can uh, provide a way to do that that is um, feasible, scalable, transparent, uh, non-corruptible, and so on. Uh, tracking the provenance of a product. So from mm-hmm. organic cotton grown in the field to the T-shirt that the consumer buys, one can track the um, where that product has been made at each stage and and who the players involved in producing that product and getting it to the consumer are. Um, cleaning up the Niger Delta, it's a really interesting example of an application for an intractable problem that for decades no amount of aid has been able to tackle. So blockchain provides an opportunity to, to tackle this uh, in, a, in a novel and effective way. Actually, one I heard of just just the other day, last week, I was at a cryptocurrency event, mm-hmm. and the vice mayor of the city of Berkeley was there talking about micro-muni bonds, so municipal bonds that specifically fund affordable housing. With some of the recent budget cuts that have been experienced, the affordable uh, housing budgets have been reduced. And so using blockchain-based micro-municipal bonds to fund this is a a really interesting application of the technology. And, of course, um, access to funding in markets with nascent investment capital ecosystems through ICOs um, and cryptocurrencies that incentivize solar energy production, for example, and other key impacts uh, outcomes. And Nick mm-hmm. has been a real pioneer in this space. Right. So I'm wondering if it makes sense to provide a definition. I Obviously, I said earlier that blockchain is a distributed ledger, but I think, could you give a, a brief description of or a brief definition of what blockchain is? I think... I think it's more important to understand the potential of blockchain rather than the technical details of how it works. If you think about uh, how it works, if you think about the internet, uh, few of us know how the internet actually works, but all of us use it, and there's new ways of applying this technology to solve human problems. And so I think blockchain is very similar in that regard, that very few of us will understand the technical details of how it actually works, but many of us will use it, do use it, and will use it going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. No, that's that's helpful. So you were mentioning earlier about some of the, the wide range of of applications that you've seen for blockchain, but you've also been mm-hmm. doing 
some of you've been sponsoring through Innovation 4.4 some some hackathons on blockchain. And so I was curious, how many hackathons have you hosted thus far and and where? Sure. So the first hackathon was hosted in Bangkok last year, and it was focused on applying blockchain to the energy sector. The second hackathon was hosted in Romania, in my hometown of Timisoara, actually, in October of 2017, and it was focused on sustainable manufacturing. Uh, We have a few hackathons planned for this year focused on other sustainable development goals um, related um, solutions like sustainable food, uh, health and inclusion, uh, water, uh, sustainable apparel, and so on. Interesting. So how... How do you apply blockchain to inclusion? That That's very intriguing. Well, that is why we're having the hackathon. We're very curious to, uh, to find out how very creative and capable engineers and subject matter experts work together to think about where blockchain can be useful. And that is part of the goal of this series of hackathons is to direct is the application of the technologies to sectors that are uh, most impactful, where it can make the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. And um, we are consistently surprised at each hackathon by the creativity of the solution sets. So uh, in Romania, for example, we had a number of solutions that uh, came out of that process. And one that I certainly would not have predicted was a way to encrypt a design file when you're sending it to a manufacturer so that it can't be hacked or uh, stolen. So it's an IP protection solution, uh, which is a a really interesting application of the technology. Uh, Some of the more obvious ones that came out of it are tracking GHG emissions, uh, also tracking the provenance of a product, so that's the, the T-shirt example, organic cotton to T-shirt to the consumer, um, to marketplaces where you have a smart contract uh, in the middle of the transaction and enable a more um, uh, open and transparent marketplace with, um, with fewer costs, uh, transaction costs. Mm-hmm. And I also understand that there's been some some work around water too, just being able to identify, like managing a watershed or being able to pinpoint where yes. there's pollution. Indeed, yes. There's a really interesting example of a solution that actually tracks where where the pollution occurs, let's say in a body of water like a river, for example, and being able to identify with the level of precision and um, and immediacy that without the blockchain uh, infrastructure is very challenging and costly to do. How, so how, I'm very curious about how that would work along a river. So how many nodes, you know, are you, I assume you'd be using sensors or do you have someone that's yes. actually doing, okay. Yes, yes. So it's, it's automated through sensor-based Connected network. through a blockchain infrastructure, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. So that that could be quite, uh, so it's all automated and I guess people just, but they would also know where all the sensors are theoretically, right? Which is both uh, 
a, a positive and a, a negative. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. There, there are few systems that are completely infallible. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that leads um, me to a, another comment that I that I heard about blockchain is that it works best for situations where there is a tendency to distrust other parties. So whether that's maybe addressing pollution, whether that's greenhouse gas emissions Correct. or water yeah. or, uh, or making sure, you know, understanding really what the provenance is and, and, and allowing transparency where there previously wasn't. And you might be skeptical of that as a consumer. So, so a great example of that is to go back to the T-shirts mm-hmm. as a, as an example that I think is um, easy for most to relate to. When you're growing organic cotton in a certain part of the world, there have been documented cases of corruption where the farmer will uh, pay off essentially the certifier to certify the cotton as organic when in fact it isn't, which Mm -hmm. then leads to that cotton being made into the t-shirt that a company in good faith sells to its consumers as an organic cotton t-shirt, and in fact it isn't, and the company has no way of of knowing that unless it, it really looks at its supply chain and puts in place very um, costly uh, checks and balances to ensure that. And so through blockchain, uh, the, the corruptibility factor at that level uh, is significantly reduced. And so the claim that the company is making is now verifiable via blockchain from the field where that cotton was produced to the mm-hmm. factory where it was manufactured into fabric to the factory where it was manufactured into the t-shirt to the distribution center where it was brought to and then shipped to the either point of sale or to your house. Mm-hmm. So blockchain provides um, a way of ensuring that the claim, the um, retailer is making is actually traceable in a transparent way and actually reflects what the consumer is purchasing. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess that's, that just underscores the point that it, it really helps in situations where there are, and, uh, there's a lack of trust already or a lack of, of certainty, shall we say. Maybe it's not a lack of trust, but a lack of certainty. Yes, and, and a lack of trust because if you think about it, once these stories about corruptibility around organic cotton, for example, came out, consumers began to question, well, is the organic T-shirt I'm, I'm buying really organic? Is this claim verifiable? And how do I know I'm really buying organic cotton unless I sent it to a lab for, for analysis. Right. So it does, it does create a distrust in the market that is very costly for the retailers that are selling those products. It's mm-hmm. um, costly for the organic farmers who really are uh, following the practices of, uh, of organic cotton growth, and it affects them because there's a lack of trust in the market to purchase their product. 
and it creates um, it creates costs all across the the supply chain, um, all the way to the consumer. Right, right. That makes total sense. Thank you. After a short break, we'll continue our conversation with Lena Konstantinovich. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations, and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Lina Konstantinovich and we were talking about blockchain and the opportunity for blockchain innovation and the importance of focusing on the social aspects, whether that's through the UN sustainable development goals or others, and the key attributes we need to keep in mind when considering using blockchain. And so we know, you know we're, we're kind of in early days with, with blockchain. So what can we, what can we expect with, with blockchain? Indeed, we are in very early days. Uh, for those of us that, that remember that far, if we think back to 1996, and the internet in 1996. If we think back to what a website looked like in 1996, it was a static page with a phone number, the address of the business, and maybe the menu if it was a restaurant. 
And that's what a website was and did. It was basically a uh, an advanced version of a yellow pages and nothing more. It would be as inconceivable today to think about where blockchain will be in 20 years as it was in 1996 to think about what a website today might look like with all the functionalities of um, online retail and all the many things that websites do today that go way beyond a static page with a few uh, very specific data points. So in 20 years, the application space for blockchain and what it will mean in terms of how we transact, in terms of how we um, how we do a lot of things will really have a, as significant of an impact as the Internet has had in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. if not more so. Right. And I also think that there's probably going to be new applications, whether that's, you know, I mean, I, focusing on, on contracts or on how you have clarity you were so I mean some the example you gave around the the t-shirt in some ways is an example in some fashion of a of a contract and so it, it would be fascinating right. to see you know what happens if we move beyond just having transparency in the supply chain to actually sort of saying okay everybody can see that you and I have this contract and that we've exercised it you know whether that's transporting goods or whether that's agreement to purchase something or or services even you know there, there's lots of opportunities so I'll give two other examples that are quite interesting so last year i was in dubai for the world green economy summit and dubai announced that they are transitioning all of their government functions administrative functions to blockchain by 2020. So I think that that is the other aspect of it for those who aren't as closely involved, the speed at which blockchain is penetrating uh, certain uh, certain applications is really um, quite, uh, quite astounding. So mm-hmm. it's less than two years to transition all administrative functions. It's, it's quite the task. So that's one example. The other is, um, gosh, I'm I'm blanking on which country it was in Africa, but there's a country that recently had its elections on blockchain. And so I think that the speed at which uh, all of this is evolving is is really unprecedented and Mm -hmm. it's affecting... Uh, large banks and um, our energy systems and our production and manufacturing systems, certainly financing for startups through ICOs and so on. So the, the breadth and speed at which blockchain solutions are being applied to a broad spectrum of uh, sectors is, is really significant, I think, to take note of currently. Right. And just for those who don't know, ICO is initial coin offering. Initial coin offering, yes. So it's uh, it's the counterpart to an IPO or initial public offering, which mm-hmm. is how companies raise capital when they go from being a private company to a public company. So everybody buys shares in the company through an initial public offering. So an initial coin offering 
um, is a similar process by which through a, um, a so an initial coin offering um, is a way of raising capital for startups that is blockchain based. Mm-hmm. And there are many different kinds of ICOs and tokens that are offered in an ICO. There can be an equity token, a utility token, and and so on. Um, but why this is significant from an impact perspective, I'll give an example of a company in Romania that I met last year that had built a successful business at um, about a million euro a month revenue in 18 months. So really significant growth. And it was growing so fast that it was having a hard time supporting its growth with the bank guarantees uh, because it was growing too fast. And access to capital in this nascent market is still quite restricted. And so one of the large funds was offering them, I believe it was $500,000 or something like 60% of the company. So um, so very unfavorable terms, shall we say, from the startup perspective. And so by doing an ICO, this company was able to, in eight days, raise $30 million to build a an energy trading platform that is blockchain-based. That's an example of where in markets um, that are very different than Silicon Valley and other places where investment capital might be more readily available, it enables them to access capital and um, and fund innovation um, in the space. Yeah, well, that actually is a very nice segue into my into my next question. You know, in the first segment, we were talking about some of the ideas that come out of the hackathons, and you mentioned quite a few. And I was very curious what happens post-hackathon. How many of these ideas move from concept to reality? Yes, that's a great question. So we are, it's been about six months since the October hackathon. So we are about ready now to actually send a survey to our participants to see where they are and how they've progressed. I can say that the example I just gave of the ICO, the initial coin offering um, for the company that raised $30 million, that's a team that actually participated in the hackathon. And as a result of their participating in the hackathon and learning more about blockchain, they are now building this energy trading platform. So that is an example of a very specific outcome, and they were voted the best ICO of the year by Huffington Post and so on. So the value of not only providing an incentive and an opportunity for engineers to uh, learn about blockchain and apply blockchain to uh, solving uh, technology um, questions, but also to put them in a room with subject matter experts. So in Romania, for example, the sustainable manufacturing theme meant that we also invited the um, large companies that have manufacturing facilities in the area. So, for example, Continental, one of the largest tire producers, has a presence there and they manufacture in Timisoara. And so we invited the director of innovation of that company and a few others So, A, there is a direct uh, path to adoption of some of these 
solutions into industry where they can make the biggest difference. And also we have them there as mentors, as judges to help the teams that may not be as familiar with the intricacies of how some aspect of manufacturing actually functions so that they can build robust solutions that are actually relevant and useful in that context. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but are there, what are, could, could you expand a little bit further on, on some of the social impacts of, of these ideas that are supported by blockchain? Sure. Pardon me. Absolutely. Um, so, for example, uh, Nick Gogarty launched one of the, the early uh, cryptocurrencies that was focused on impact called SolarCoin. And SolarCoin rewards renewable energy producers, specifically solar energy producers, with a coin, a cryptocurrency that uh, can be traded on um, an exchange in Switzerland and that has um, has utility. And so that is an example of an early cryptocurrency focused on uh, an impact outcome. So basically, you produce solar energy on your roof and um, for every megawatt of renewable energy produced, you earn a solar coin. So that is how it, um, how it functions and that spurred um, innovation more recently in the last year, year and a half as blockchain has become more of a mainstream conversation. Innovation in cryptocurrencies around the oceans, uh, trees, um, tigers even, and so on. So there are many, many coins that are um, using that mechanism or attempting to use the mechanism of a cryptocurrency to achieve social and environmental outcomes. Could you share a little bit more about those? I hadn't heard about the the ocean trees or tigers, so could you? Sure, yes. So um, blockchain has been a a very hot topic around the world, including at Davos this year. It got quite a bit of uh, attention. It was the blockchain here at Davos. And um, at the hackathon there, there was a team that worked on an ocean coin to protect uh, the oceans through this mechanism of a cryptocurrency. There's a tiger coin that's uh, designed to um, save the tigers. Uh, There's a tree coin that's focused on mangroves and protecting mangroves and many, many other cryptocurrencies. It seems like I'm I'm hearing of new ones daily almost. Right. So, yeah, quite a bit. So I was, I know that you're pre-selecting these, these folk, the, 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 the sector topics or sector focuses of each of these hackathons, for example, the first Mm -hmm. one in Bangkok on, on energy. And then the other one in, in Timosuara at, um, on sustainable manufacturing. But I was curious, have you noticed any cultural or regional f- uh, focuses with these hackathons? You know, are people more sure. interested in approaching them in a certain way? Or, you know, what, what are some of the cultural differences you might have seen? Sure. Our goal has been to, in choosing these themes that are all related to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, 
really choose the sustainable goal that's most relevant in that region and where there's an ecosystem to not only develop these solutions, but to, um, for industry partners, for example, to uh, take up these solutions and um, apply them in a specific contest. So, for example, in Romania, <laughs> pardon me, Romania has um, really attracted international companies that manufacture, and Timisoara is one of those key centers. In fact, there's um, they've been so successful in attracting um, manufacturing from international companies that the unemployment rate is nearly zero. <laughs> New companies are having a hard time finding employees. Um, so that's a, that's a great problem to have. And so indeed, in that ecosystem, uh, having uh, sustainable manufacturing as a theme really made sense because we had partners that we could bring in as mentors and as uh, judges and as subject matter experts. There's a very robust um, IT scene. There are uh, many clusters, uh, several that we partnered with to really attract the top engineers to uh, join us for the hackathon. And um, there's also a high level of awareness around impact, both social and environmental and a mayor who is committed and speaks about these kinds of issues front and center. And so all the the, the right ingredients were there for us to catalyze um, the solution set that can actually be applied and relevant in that specific context. And mm-hmm. so we work with partners on the ground to do that in each location so that um, the themes aren't predetermined um, randomly, but they emerge from our conversations and work with the local partners to identify what would be most useful and uh, relevant in that region. Thank you. We're speaking with Lina Konstantinovich, and we'll be right back after a short break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations, and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit regenerate.coach. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, 
and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Lino Konstantinovich, and we were talking about some of the innovative applications of blockchain and how they're becoming reality. So, Lina, if people are if there's one point that you want people to take away from this conversation, what would it be? I would say that um, blockchain is quickly becoming very prevalent in many sectors, and it's um, penetrating at a rate that is, uh, I think, much faster than, than most of us realize. It will affect most areas of our life and how we do things currently, as the internet did in 1996. And <laughs> Bitcoin is just the, just the early application of blockchain. Mm-hmm. I think we didn't necessarily go into detail this at the begin, into this at the beginning. However, uh, Bitcoin and blockchain are not the same thing, and sometimes they get conflated or talked about as if they are. So I think it's important to understand that uh, Bitcoin is an early application of blockchain, and blockchain is so much more than a cryptocurrency uh, like Bitcoin. Right. Uh, so I think that understanding that it's um, becoming quickly very prevalent, it will have a tremendous impact on our lives, on our macroeconomic and microeconomic transactions, um, how we produce things and how we distribute energy um, and so on. So I think that that is one important um, takeaway, hopefully, mm-hmm. from this interview. Super. Thank you. So if regarding your hackathons, if people are interested in hosting a hackathon in their community, mm-hmm. what resources would you recommend they 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 seek? Well, I would recommend that um, they seek partnerships so that the 
design of the hackathon and the solutions that come out of it, therefore, are uh, from a systems understanding of what's needed in a particular space. So that means um, IT clusters, let's say, and um, uh, hackathon communities partnering with thought leaders in a particular space that they're trying to solve problems in. And um, and we'd be happy to uh, give some guidance or um, resources to anyone that would like to either partner with us to do one or uh, point them in the right direction so they can think through how to design a hackathon that's really appropriate for the region and for the outcomes that they're trying to facilitate through the mechanism and structure of a hackathon. Well, okay, that, that leads me to another question. What, how do you, at Innovation 4.4, select where you, what are, what are the requirements for selecting a site for a hackathon? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you did Abu Dhabi, you've done Timosuara, you've done Bangkok, but obviously those areas, or even Davos. So how have you selected those? Are there particular concentrations or centers of, of, of focus that you've used in those areas, or how, what have you done? That's a great question. So we typically look for a great partner on the ground that really understands the local ecosystem so that we can co-create an event that, um, A, attracts local engineers and thought leaders and practitioners, and B, has an ecosystem that's developed enough to where the solutions that come out of it can thrive and evolve to their next stage beyond the weekend of the hackathon. So, for example, in Oslo, we have a great partner on the ground, an incubator there that's been working with public agencies around health and inclusion. And they really know that space and have the relationships to be able to not only attract the engineers, but to then um, have the right government agencies and um, NGOs and other players in that space that can readily then apply these solutions to the work that they're doing around uh, these issues. So a great partner on the ground and really a solution that is um, of that region and, uh, and, so to speak, native to that region that emerges from the unique ecosystem that each city, each region, each country provides for solutions mm-hmm. to emerge in the blockchain space and beyond. It, 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 what I'm hearing is that there's also a underlying this implicitly there's a certain size that's required in the in the region or so it's not no you know a smaller community that perhaps is rural that may not have a strong potential foundational partner would have a hard time starting a hackathon correct Right. I mean, there there needs to be a critical mass, and to us, that's uh, at least about 40 or 50 hackers or engineers who are coming mm-hmm. together. So between 40 and 100, sort of optimal size um, for this type of hackathon. And so if there are two engineers in town, then this <laughs> is probably <laughs> right. um, less of a hackathon and, and more of a, co- a collaborative project. But um, 
I think that is one key element is to have a critical mass of uh, engineers or the, mm-hmm. or the ability to attract to that. So you may be in a small rural community, but have the ability to attract 40 engineers to come and participate, which is wonderful. So it's right. really the ability to attract the right parties and stakeholders that are needed for a successful hackathon that will produce value mm-hmm. in the long term. Okay. No, that that's that's important because I think that that's something that people should, you know, I think those are some of the resources that people need to think about when they're trying to apply or considering applying blockchain, you know, like Dubai, for example, shifting all of their their government, their administration to blockchain over time. What is that? Mm-hmm. What does that look like if somebody if a small community wanted to do that? what would that look like and and how would they be able to right size the application and the process for their community and what would they want to include and all of those different questions so obviously there's there's a lot of different aspects there but it it sounds really fascinating just to see how over time this is going to, as you were saying, you know, we're really in early days and, and, you know, three, five years, 10 years hence, where are we going to be in terms of being able to apply this in smaller, more remote communities that don't necessarily have the critical mass for a hackathon right now, but could apply it in the future if they have a, a model to follow. Perhaps there'll be frameworks that we can use that will be able to be a bit more plug-and-play? Well, one of the interesting dynamics that's emerged in the hackathon space is virtual hackathons. So a community like that in a particular region could collaborate with other communities in the region to host a virtual hackathon. So even though the engineers may not be physically in that community, there could be an opportunity to connect to the needs of that community and mm-hmm. for the community itself or representatives of the community to serve as mentors, let's say, to ensure these solutions are uh, truly relevant in their context. So technology can enable uh, access to this format to communities that may not have uh, 40 or 50 engineers that can right. uh, show up on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in person. Yeah. No, that sounds actually really fascinating. I mean, I'm just thinking about all of those those more distant communities that are tend to be more rural, that tend to have a more dispersed population that may be primarily agricultural at the moment uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, are interested in improving opportunities, whether that's in education or in in health or what have you, and how does that start to become possible if you can aggregate the the focus or the and the intention of these forty to fifty of the of the um, of these engineers Hackers. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, hackers, yes. <laughs> the technical but, term. But hackers. The technical term is the hacker. Okay, so the, but these <laughs> these having these hackers on on the these these hackers on basically in in virtual presence and and being able to do that. Indeed, and then the other way to participate is for the community to 
uh, choose representatives to be at some of the larger hackathons that are uh, looking at solving issues that are relevant to rural communities, whether it's at Davos or country-level or regional-level hackathon in a larger city in their region, um, that's another option to ensure that this um, solution space uh, in in blockchain actually includes the needs of those who are not in the largest cities that have hackathons on a weekly basis. And I think that that's really important for um, blockchain to be applied uh, to meet everyone's needs, not just uh, solve urban challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so hopefully, you know, supporting the, the UNSGGs that this can this can quickly scale and also be seen as a way to to address these issues for for all people in in every corner of the globe. Indeed, that's why I'm so passionate about blockchain as as a technology and, and the opportunities that it opens up for uh, impact both environmentally and socially in a way that is. Uh, perhaps not impossible, but certainly very difficult and costly to do without the blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, to go back to the simple t-shirt example, is it possible to ensure or monitor whether that uh, certifier of the organic cotton is being corrupted or not? It's certainly possible is it expensive and really challenging logistically to accomplish? Yes. And so it's the efficiency and effectiveness of blockchain as an underlying technology uh, to achieve certain impact goals that's really uh, interesting and promising from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Lena, could you briefly describe what your what you offer at Innovation 4.4 and what else you're up to? Sure, I'd be delighted to. So Innovation 4.4 was founded after the signing of the Paris Agreement with the mission to accelerate the commercialization and deployment of solutions most relevant to the Paris Agreement and the UN SDGs. And so what that means is from a systems perspective, understanding the inefficiencies, market failures, and where the biggest net loss in the system happens in the innovation process. Um, So from a Paris Agreement perspective, recognizing that in order to meet these goals uh, as a global community, technology innovation is one important component. It's certainly not the only one. Um, We have um, other elements like policy and so on that are equally as important. But technological innovation will need to play a key part if we are to achieve these goals. And so from my work for the past 12 years and understanding those market failures and how that process happens, we've designed specific interventions to shorten the time and reduce the cost of a certain innovation um, process step, so going from one milestone to another. What that means in practical terms is, for example, companies often launch in a particular market, 
and they have uh, and they're very successful. But it costs time and money to access another market that they don't have. And so we designed a market entry delegation format for clean technology startups where we take them to countries and regions that are looking to source innovations. We work with local government and regional government and the development agencies, mayors, governors, to understand their priorities and then bring from over 2,000 technologies that we've vetted, those that are most relevant to that region. So that's Super. one format. We yeah. also work with industry uh, leaders to bring technology showcases around a particular uh, innovation um, theme that they're interested in. So let's say it could be uh, efficient buildings. So we would bring 10 uh, solutions in that space and put them in front of their top 10 dream customers and then pair them to work for some number of months to optimize their solution for a particular industry application or launch a pilot project. So basically taking a project that can, uh, or a process, sorry, that can take two to four years and reducing that to six to 12 months, that time. Fantastic. Frame. Thank you, Lena. It has been a pleasure having you here today. We've it's spoken been my about- pleasure. Thank you for having me, Thomas. You're very welcome. I'm glad we finally got this coordinated. We've spoken about blockchain, what it is, and some of the ways it can be applied. Thank you again for joining us today. We'll see you next week. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg, and this is Envision. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.